Hello and welcome to the Total Quidditch podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make Quidditch what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Welcome to episode 26 of the podcast. Our guest this week has played for more teams than you've had hot dinners. Starting at Tush University, Boston, she's gone on to play for the likes of QC Boston, Boston Forge, formerly known as the Boston Knight Riders, Bosnian Bear Sharks, Rochester Whiteout, Texas Hill Country Heat, Austin Outlaws, and Lone Star QC. A pretty enviable resume to have as a Quidditch player. Not only has she played a lot of Quidditch, but she's also one of the most dedicated people I know in the sport, volunteering for the likes of USQ, the eighth man, and MLQ to help make Quidditch happen both on and off the pitch. It's a pleasure to be joined by Emily Hickman. Welcome to the pod. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. This is going to be great. We're going to have so many good talks about Quidditch. It's going to be so fun. Yeah, fantastic. It's great to have you here. Uh, how, how are you doing at the moment? Uh, off air, we were talking a bit about how you've just started playing rugby. That's, that's quite exciting. I'm good. I'm enjoying, like, I feel like right in the middle of September is like the best time to be in the Northeast because it's like not cold yet, but all the colors are changing and you get all the super fun fall activities. So I'm like super excited. Um, so I'm going to go like apple picking next weekend and get like some good spooky things started because it's almost Halloween. So just very excited for like fall in the northeast again yep getting the uh, your pumpkin spice lattes and and all of that yes. <laughs> getting in the spirit yeah. um exactly yeah uh and it's also start of fall quidditch season and fall rugby season and like fun new sports to play so that's always fun like it's the new yesterday was the first college quidditch played at MQC opener and it was super great to get to watch that um shout out to them for always having the best quality of events and running them so yeah Mm. Yeah, I don't know what it's like in the US at the moment but here it's kind of a case we're tentatively I know trying to get back to normal and essentially have more of a, a calendar as such rather than sort of the I guess the the lack of order this this last year yeah it's I think like scheduling a Quidditch season is something that's so interesting because like I think one of the things that MQC has always done really well is um like creating like an actual schedule with like an opener and then like games and then kind of more of like a structure to the season which I think is something that conferences are so good at I love Love a good Quidditch conference. Um, love a good season structure. Yeah, all very fun things to do. Yeah, for sure. And uh, hopefully we can, uh, yeah, keep everything going and uh, yeah, see what happens. I guess. Yeah. So, looking at 2021, um, which obviously didn't get off the best start. Everyone's still kind of in quarantine and lockdown. Yeah, Quidditch has got back up and running across the world and I think America is one of the first places to really get going again uh, with the Major League Quidditch season starting up for uh, this summer. Um, We got through the whole season which is great 
Um, it's all done and dusted now. Austin Outlaws champions once more. Um, so for you, I guess, what was your experience of the 20, 2021 season as a whole, both as a player and a volunteer? And how good was it to be back playing Quidditch again? All right. So as a player, it was super great to be playing again. Um, I got to play with a bunch of new people up in Rochester, um, where I live is kind of like right in the middle of like three cities. So it's kind of like, what city do I actually like want to go play for? And I was like, I've heard wonderful things about Rochester in the summer. Better check it out and see what happens. Um, and it's just been yeah. like, it was super cool to get to play with a lot of new people because I feel like you learn a lot when you play with new people. And then it was also super interesting to be playing with people who like, it was a very young team. Like there were a lot of people from colleges. Um, honestly, one of a couple of the people on our team were like under 21, which made me feel very old. <laughs> but it was also just like very nice to get to play with people who have like so much like potential and ability to grow and get better. Um, so honestly, the summer was like some of the most fun that I've had playing Quidditch in a while. Um, and then for organizing, it was obviously a lot this year just because like how do you safely bring Quidditch back with COVID. Um, and I really cannot shout out the COVID team enough. Uh, Josh Mansfield and Rosie Crane took the lead on creating, I think, really substantial like guidelines and tiers. And honestly, the whole everyone who was involved in those meetings was like very crucial because they all had very different perspectives and different like backgrounds. So it was really helpful to like look at it from like a player perspective and like a volunteers and like just kind of figuring out all the things that we needed to do to keep everyone safe. Um, and obviously there were a couple of like growing pains, but I think we had a season and it was successful and there was so much parity across the league this year, which was super fun to be a part of. Um, although it was a little sad that my team didn't get to go to championships but it was it was just like I think everyone was just so happy to be playing again that a lot of the things just kind of worked its way out um yeah but obviously it was like for a volunteering perspective like it was a shortened season so that made everything a lot more um we also had like three contingency schedules um so like phase one, phase two, and then we had like a third phase. Um, so I think one of the things that's great about volunteering with MLQ is you kind of plan for every option as much as possible. So, but yeah, and I really loved the events team that I got to work with this year. They were wonderful. It was a lot of their first time like of being so involved as like a Quidditch volunteer for a season. And like, they are absolutely great. Um, like Claire, Linnea, Tate and Clay are the MLQ events team right now. And it's just like so much fun to get to like talk to them and work with them and figure out how to make the events better. So yeah, it, it was stressful, but fun is how I would describe my, my summer. Uh-huh, stressful, but fun. <laughs> yeah, good, good summary there. 
Um, as you said, like on pitch, nice to have a new challenge, new teammates. Uh, spend a bit of time in Rochester, um, which I'm sure is much nicer in the summer than it is in the winter. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, from a, an organizational perspective, they're on a queue. Um, obviously, it's, it's quite a difficult time on that level of things. Because um, obviously, you look at more like sort of professional sports, especially um trying to get things going again sort of after covid hit um there's all these roadblocks in the way and as an organization i guess you're always wary of i don't know well maybe like huge having huge breakouts and having big scheduling issues and things and yeah so the fact that lq was able to run as smoothly as it did and to sort of finish on schedule and everything, even with a shortened season, is massively successful for the organization. Yeah. I think it's just a testament to the people who are involved in it. Like, um, Dallas and Ethan do such a good job recruiting people to the organization who, like, know what they're doing so well. And then I think it's just kind of giving your volunteer like those volunteers, the space to do the work that they need to do. Um, massive shout out to Nick Jablonski for the season. I don't know if everyone noticed, but the streams this year were like so great. A lot of that was due to some things that he has just like implemented in how we stream. So if you see Nick Jablonski at an event, be like, hey, Nick, you're great. We appreciate you and then maybe buy him a beer or something if, you know, there's alcohol allowed at wherever you are. So. Yeah, big, big shout out to Nick. I think one of the things that a lot of people realized during the pandemic, like when we all cooped up at home and kind of wishing to be back playing Quidditch is that a lot of the Quidditch footage isn't great. So to be able to improve that going forward, I think, yeah, is something good to focus on. So, yeah. Good job, Nick. <laughs> um, speaking of, yeah, not being able to play Quidditch and being cooped up at home, one of the, I guess, big events during the pandemic Quidditch-wise was QuidCon back in March, which you helped organise um, along with the MLQ team, um, which was an online Quidditch convention with panels and workshops from people all across the US and well, the World Quidditch community as well. So from an organizational perspective, how did this event come about and what was the experience like for you? Yeah, so I think where it like kind of originated was I was kind of missing seeing people from Quidditch um, and I was also medium unemployed. I think it was when the idea first happened, I was like, I'm bored. Let's figure out a way to do something. Um, and then it also kind of came from me, like we brought Clay Dockery on as our special events manager. And he was a part of those like kind of original quid cons. And we were like, everyone's virtual. Um, so why not? Why don't we do like a virtual Quidditch convention? And earlier in the summer, I had gone to this like B conference for women, which is like a conference that I went to in person in Austin in like 2018. And then they moved it and I was like, I'm obviously not gonna fly it. But then they were doing a virtual one and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then just like looking at the way they kind of structured their event, I was like, this is cool. And also like 
doesn't seem that difficult to like have happen. And I also feel like, well, I know that like we kind of were feeling like there is going to be like kind of a gap in knowledge in terms of like how do you do different things and like how do you do these like there's kind of hasn't been like an exchange of ideas and like information in a while because the last QuidCon was like 20 I should know this but like 2012 or 2013 um and so there had been like a while before there had been all of that like sharing of ideas and I feel like so many people in Quidditch have such great ideas and so like getting to talk to people about those ideas is something that will just kind of help them like germinate and grow. Um, and so that's kind of how the idea started. And then it was kind of figuring out all the logistics of how we wanted to do it and like when we wanted to do it. I was originally like way too optimistic and was like, let's try and get it done by like December or like January. And then other people in the organization were like, that's absolutely not going to be able to be happening, um, which they are absolutely correct. Um, so we pushed it to like March, which I think was great. Um, it's a good time because generally even like with when in the U.S. there is Quidditch happening, March isn't like the biggest event because it's like right before April. And that's like so it's just like a good time for there to be things happening. Um, and we decided that it would be great to start working with like USQ and Quidditch Canada relatively early on, um, just because they're both kind of involved in MLQ as well as so we have teams in both of those locations. And that kind of expanded the reach and people available um, to kind of do that. And then from there, just kind of honestly, I was surprised with how big it like ballooned and how many people from like different countries actually like started to get involved and I think a lot of that came down to how it was being marketed which I think QuidCon was like marketed incredibly well um like the branding was really spot on and like they did a really good job we did a really good job of kind of like explaining what was going to be happening although again it was very it could have used a couple of more like maybe like a month more to plan but I think it was still very successful overall um and i think like the actual event of quidcon kind of reminded me of like those old school fantasies where you would just like go and hang out and you would make these like random new friends and you get to talk to people and you just be like oh man all of these people are so wonderful and so great and i like genuinely just enjoy their company a lot so like this is wonderful um to like be around them um and it was really a culmination of like hard work from all across the world. Like we had some really cool panel submissions from different people across the world. We had like basically everyone we asked who do to like be involved was like, yeah, absolutely, that sounds great. So we got some really high quality panelists in general um, across the board. Um, we had really solid volunteers and like a really good volunteer base just to kind of like keep everything organized and then like I think like we were a little worried about like the technical stuff because like none of us had really run a virtual convention before but 
again, shout out to Christian Barnes and his like six Zoom accounts that made it possible for us to <laughs> we do. We all become all. pros at Zoom this year. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of, oh, let's make a Zoom link and then let's make sure we made it on the right account and then shared it. So it was really a culmination of a lot of really hard works from a lot of really wonderful volunteers. Um, and I'm really happy that it happened. Um, and it was it was good. It was a fun time. And I think like generally our feedback was positive. Um, in preparation of this, I was like looking back. And so we had like 70 people fill out our feedback form. So like, first of all, shout out to you. Feedback forms are great. They help us make things better. And like 90% of the people said that they had a good time at QuidCon, which is like very high. And then the other like 10% were like, man, it was okay, but that's not like, I know no one, none of the feedback was like, oh, this was horrible, um, which I think is something we were all really proud of. So, yeah. Yeah, sure. Just a lot of lot of positive vibes and yeah, in terms of the whole pandemic situation, it's a very productive use of time, I think, to yeah, have that sharing of ideas and to raise sort of awareness of certain issues within the sport and kind of how we progress post pandemic. Um, because obviously we're at a pretty kind of critical point for the sport. Um, as you mentioned there, like there'd been kind of physical like quick cons in the past, but I think as someone who attended the event internationally, it was great to be able to attend these things and not be limited by geography and logistics and all that. And to, yeah, sort of hear what sort of all these knowledgeable people had to say. Um, obviously still kind of, I guess, US centric, but yeah, still able to kind of connect the world up and uh, yeah, kind of spread sort of good vibes, good information, and hopefully, yeah, improve the sport as we get back to playing again. Yeah, and like most of our panels were recorded and I think most of them are online at this point. So it's always like, it's just like now there is this reference material for anyone who like, hey, I need to uh, learn how to be a seeker. I'm gonna go watch that seeker panel or oh, I'm gonna learn, wanna learn how to be a snitch. So I'm gonna go watch that snitch panel. Um, most of them are on the MLQ website and then some uh, MLQ YouTube. And then I think some of the ones from the USQ and Quid Canada staff are on USQ and Quid Canada YouTubes. So it's like now there's just like a database of knowledge for people to use, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, that's a really great point. Because um, like you look at the the variety of things that were going on across that weekend, I think no matter who you are in Quidditch, there's something that's going to entice you in. And there's, there's always something you can learn from. And I, I think back to say, you know, the college recruitment that's happening right now um, in say the US and the UK and places like that, they can look and go, oh, how do we get better recruiting? Here's a video for it. Or, mm -hmm. oh, how do we run a training with, I don't know, two, three, four people, sort of small numbers. There's a video for that as well. How do we get into youth Quidditch? there's a video for that. So it kind of helps people solve the problems they may have coming out of the pandemic and hopefully people can be directed towards that information. We'll, we'll definitely be plugging that on the page after, after this uh, podcast. Yeah, that that's a big thing. Um, I honestly, I think the, you kind of talked about playing with small, like small numbers. 
the Q3 and Q5 panel, I think that one was so cool. Like I remember I watched the submission early because I had to like, I was just like making sure. Like, um, and I was like, this is so cool and people are going to love this. And I think it was one of those ones where people were like, yeah, this is so cool. And like, how do you play Quidditch with three people or five people is something that like a lot of teams have to address sometimes because they don't always get the full 12 people at practice. So I think that's something that again was so cool to just like be able to share with people so yeah yeah definitely it's a very very successful weekend all around and uh yeah very glad that it's happened um just kind of looking to the future do you reckon we will see more events like this because i i know myself i really enjoyed myself i'd love to do all of that again at some point what's your record yeah uh, so I think from an MLQ standpoint, we're probably looking at like every two years that we would want to do this because again, you don't want to like oversaturate people with things to do. Like you can get burnout um, mm. if there's too many options. So I think like a two to three year kind of cycle um, and then we can kind of get more people involved. It's because it also does require a lot of planning. And I think part of the reason we were able to plan was a lot of people were, you know, just staying at home because of yeah. the pandemic. <laughs> but when more things are happening, it's a little bit more uh, things to adjust to. Yeah, and I agree. I think every two, three years would be like a good cycle to keep it going because it was so great to share all those ideas. But if you made like an annual thing or even less, like there wouldn't be much in the way of like new ideas and new things coming through. So it allows people to go away and use I guess the knowledge they acquired from the previous one apply it and then maybe come up with new concepts new things and then share whatever they have for the next one yeah exactly but <laughs> I'm not necessarily promising anything because again it is a lot but that would be good I think uh, yeah for yeah. sure I'd love, love, love to see another one at some point uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait and see super um yeah, we're going to talk a bit more about yourself, um, just kind of what these episodes of podcasts are here for, to really talk about the people who make Quidditch the sport that it is. Um, so, yeah, just kind of jumping into it kind of at the start of your time playing Quidditch. How did you discover the sport and kind of what kind of athletic backgrounds did you have before joining joining Quidditch? Okay, so I knew about Quidditch because when I did my test tour, when I was a junior, they talked about the Tufflepuffs, and that would have been right during the year that they made it to the semi or to made it to the finals. So it was still like a really big deal because it was like, yeah, the Tufts Quidditch team made the semi or made the finals of the World Cup, and so they were like, yeah, they're the Tufflepuff, which is a great name. I will fight anyone who says otherwise. <laughs> People who are listening, who know who they are, I will fight you. Um, but it was so I knew that I really, at like, at Tufts, there was a team called the Tufflepuffs, and I was fairly sure that I wanted to play Quidditch when I went to college. And then um, I actually, this is a fun story, but when I was looking, I was like looking at like an application that I had put in for something at one point, and it was like, where do you see yourself in like five years? And it was like, I'm gonna go to Tufts University, because at that point it was like a senior and I had committed. I'm gonna be a biomedical engineering major and I'm going to play for the Tufts Quidditch team. And like, those were the things that I was like, this is what I'm going to, like, this is where I see my future, which was like, wow. <laughs> Senior year, Emily had such plans. And then 
you graduated college and was like, what do I do now? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I knew that I kind of wanted to try playing Quidditch. Um, and so when I went to Tufts, my original plan was going to try and walk onto the soccer team because I played soccer basically from when I was five to like senior year. Um, and then I also rode horses, but like we don't talk about that very much. <laughs> um, so I was going to try right. and walk on to the soccer team. Um, so I went like during orientation week, I was playing, I was like doing tryouts for the varsity team and they did not go well and that's okay. Um, and so I then went to the club soccer tryouts, which were like the week after. Um, and then those also like didn't go great, but that's okay. Um, Cause then my friend Mari and I, who Mari lived on the same floor on me as me, um, we were both like, yeah, let's try Quidditch. And so I was gonna do like club soccer and just like do the practice squad for club soccer. Um, but then we went to Quidditch and Tufts had an intro to Quidditch event on the res quad, which is like this flat open space between like two, um, Wow, I forgot what it's called, but like two dorms and then one of the dining halls. And so it's like this like grass space and they had like two fields set up and one of the fields was made of cones and it was just like a really large group of people. And like Mari and I went, had an absolute ball of a time. Um, I think it's playing Quidditch for the first time is a lot. Um, and then we got on the e-list and then at the e-list, um, they sent like an email out like, oh, if you want to be on like the competitive team, just like come to this or just like come hang out. And we were like, let's do it. And then we did. And then that was nine years ago and I haven't stopped. Uh, so that's kind of how I got into playing Quidditch. But it's it's been fun. It's a good time. OK. Yeah, I, I feel like that story is quite similar to mine um, in a way, kind of having a sport that you've stuck with sort of pre-college days so I guess in your case football and kind of going yeah I want to well, soccer <laughs> and sort of going yeah kind of I want to keep doing that but also oh there's this new thing as well that's quite interesting um and you kind of had your heart set as you said in that sort of letter where do you see some five years time um and yeah obviously yeah change priorities um and uh I think we're all grateful for it. Yeah, I'm honestly so glad that I got cut from the varsity team because, like, first of all, I don't know how much of my college experience would have been as fun if I had been on varsity soccer because, like, it's so much work. And also, I don't know how it is in, like, the UK, but sometimes there are very specific, like, personality types that play soccer and you're just like, yeah. Mm. Oh, do I, I really exactly want to be mean. around that all the time? Yeah. Um, which is something that I've very rarely found with Quidditch. Most of the time I'm like, wow, Quidditch person, no, they're great. Um, so yeah, I think not playing soccer was a great thing for like the long-term trajectory of my life. Although soccer's still great. Fun times. Mm. Love, love playing. Just don't always love the people. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be said about I guess the culture and the environment in which certain sports are played, um, and like I, I found that myself um, playing football and things like that, and yeah, like the Quidditch community 
it's great. It's not perfect. Like there's definitely a few bits and pieces that, yeah, could be better. <laughs> but overall, it's a much more welcoming environment to play sport in. Um, and yeah, I think it definitely stands out compared to other sports in that regard. Yeah, for sure. Like I know that if I go to a city, um, there will probably be a Quidditch person there who I could be like, hey, is it okay if I just like sleep on your couch for a night um, as someone who has spent a night in your family home? It was great. And <laughs> thank true. you again for that. <laughs> I miss your dog. She was perfect. Yeah. Shout out to Roxy. Downstairs right now. I can't hear us, but yeah. <laughs> oh, what a good dog. She's so good. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's one thing that's like super like valuable that I've gotten out of Quidditch is just like these people who like even if I don't know them particularly well will just like open their lives to me um which I think is such a unique part of this sport yeah for sure for sure um and yeah just like looking at your time at Tufts um was you there for quite a while obviously sort of through time at college uh what was it like playing for the team and kind of overall what your favorite memories with Tufts like both on and off pitch Okay, so playing for Tufts Quidditch is one of my favorite things to do. I think being a Tufflepuff is what we all wish we are. As the iconic chant says, hoo-ha, you wish you were a Tufflepuff. Like, I have graduated and I miss being a Tufflepuff all the time. Um, I think Tufts does a really good job in creating a place like where a lot of people feel very very welcome um and I know I did and it's just like a good group of people and like yes sometimes you're like it's definitely kind of that family vibe where like yes sometimes you're like wow I'm annoyed by my family right now but it's still like I know so many of like my best friends and people who will be a part of my life for so long are people who I met through the Tufts Quidditch program. Um, I also feel like with Tufts Quidditch, like it's always really been a team program. Like, yes, we have had people who have like been very, very good at their position. Like obviously Hannah debates Team USA chaser lover with all my heart but like it is a team system so like when you are playing for Tufts Quidditch you know like your team is gonna be like it's always gonna be like the team is gonna put the full effort out um and you're never gonna just look to one person because everyone on that team is ready to set up step up in any given day um so that's one of my favorite things about Tufts Quidditch in terms of like memories, um, I think my favorite memory of Tufts Quidditch is winning our very first tournament ever, which was Oktoberfest of 2014. Um, and we beat Maryland out of range um, in our second game against them in that tournament. And we had lost them earlier in that day. And we had a bunch of Tufts alumni there because it was in like Hofstra. So the people from New York were there to like cheer us on. Um, 
and it was like again it was the first time tufts had ever won a tournament which like tufts has had like been significant uh, pretty solid across the board generally like they're always good but like taking that next step and actually like being able to win a tournament was super great for us um and i think it was a culmination of a lot of hard work across the board um so that's one of my favorite like on-field memories and then off-field i think there are so many like tough traditions that are wonderful and like honestly when i was thinking about this i was like huh i never thought it would be this but we used to do like grilled cheese nights um which were where we would just like mass produce grilled cheese and then sell them to people on campus to make money um and like i would kind of my like sophomore no junior and senior year i was like in charge of running them so like they were obviously kind of stressful but it was just like you would have people come in and out and like people would be scheduled for shifts but then they would finish and they would just like hang out and it's just kind of everyone like sitting together like cooking maybe eating a sandwich or two and just kind of like hanging out um so i think that was always a really fun thing we'd also do like movie nights um and it would just be i have like this memory of like in my house my junior year of like all of the toughs people just like on a bed like on like a bunch of different soft surfaces watching um oh wow what is it's i forget the name of the movie it was at one point hot rod which was not my favorite because every time that we would be like let's do a movie night david stack would be like let's watch hot rod and we watched it once and i was like i don't want to watch hot rod again no <laughs> um but it was god i forget the name of the movie but it was with uh the guy from hannah montana who was like the annoying child he's in it and then it's like the story it's like a coming of age story where like you like it's just like it's very specific but we used to watch it with like and we would watch it with like new people and it was always fun um also my like one of my earliest memories of test quidditch is my freshman year we were um like before our first tournament we did like a kind of like a movie night and then also like an introductory night and so we would watch brooms up the documentary on youtube because it's about the world cup four experience and so tufts is very heavily featured in it and so like getting to watch this like youtube video with like a significant amount of views and then being like oh wow i'm literally in the same room as like this person who i'm watching right now that was always really cool like as a freshman to be like oh wow like we're here this is us scobos um yeah so mm -hmm. yeah definitely holds a special place in your heart and or just sounds quite sort of cozy and, and nice as a, as a whole and uh yeah. Yeah, kind of the way you described it, obviously, like the kind of that team ethos and kind of no one being bigger than the team and kind of knowing that you always got someone, someone's got your back. And I mean, that's quite nice. Uh, you, you look at it as a whole as well, like, as you, you mentioned, Hannah Debates, David Stack, there's been so many great uh, Tufts alumni have gone to do great things sort of after they graduated. Obviously, look at like Ethan Sturm as well. Uh, it, it's a it's a program that's really served Quidditch well, uh, even beyond their college years, I think. 
Yeah, and I think the classes that have just graduated are just like also about to like make big impacts. And I think like Serena, Montiero, Finn, Jake, all of these people, like they've now helped start their own news outlet and they're making their own teams and just like watching tough people do tough things is like one of my favorite things. Um, Fun story is last year during the pandemic, um, we organized a like all Tufts Zoom call because I was like, why not hang out and like meet everyone? And it was just so cool to see like all of the years of Tufts Quidditch on a screen and like hear about all the cool things that the alumni were doing and then all the cool things that the current team was doing. And it was just like a lot of those people had like never really interacted with each other before, but it was just like, wow, like this is just kind of the culture that is created there. Um, so like, it's just like, it was, it was just great to get to like meet new people and see like old friends and just like hang out together. Um, so I think that's like, if you're a part of Tufts Quidditch, you're like a part of Tufts Quidditch forever. So. Yeah, it's definitely great to kind of link the generations and kind of have this legacy and things and yeah I just think in general like those who have like a really positive college experience playing Quidditch then tend to want to stick with the sport and then bring it into well after they graduate and they're playing for like graduate teams and club teams and things like that and yeah sort of if you create that culture where people enjoy not just winning and like obviously competing but also yeah just enjoy being part of the sport then it's only going to be a good thing yeah just you play because of the people around you and like they're just generally always quality people so Mm -hmm. yeah so after you graduated from tufts uh you joined qcb um (laughs) which is a quidditch club boston um it's one of the club teams in the us um so kind of going from playing with tufts what was it like transitioning from playing college quidditch and going into club quidditch with qcb so i think it was a little bit of like an adjustment to doing like being around your team less and i think that's one of like the biggest transitions that you see from like college to club is like when you're playing college quidditch you're probably seeing your team members like three to four times a week um just with all the practices and then you have like your team group meetings and you go and you get food and it's like a lot more like constant visuals and like just like seeing them and then when you kind of transition to club there is less of that like you'll have like maybe one or two practices depending on where you are um so there's less of that like actual time together um but i think that's nice because it can kind of allow you to do other things um with the transition to qcb it was a lot of the people who i had been playing on with the boston mlfu team so it was like all people who i know knew pretty well and like was on really pretty solid terms with but it was just still an adjustment into the system um and kind of like figuring out where you find it fall in a line and just kind of learning that but QCB was um is a fun team to be on it's full of good people like 
Boston Quidditch is typically full of good people who are good at what they do and are really driven and dedicated. Um, and I think that's part of why you've seen the longevity that you have out of Quidditch in Boston. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really like important thing to talk about because I guess the other side of the whole pandemic situation is there'll be a lot of students who graduated and moved on to playing club Quidditch who will all of a sudden have gone from playing in like this college environment and yeah as you said being used to seeing your teammates so many times a week and training and practicing really often and then going from I don't know maybe just seeing each other once a week or sometimes less um, in certain situations so it's definitely difficult at first getting used to that but as you said like I think at that point yeah you, you really kind of have built those relationships over the years um, and it's great to still be around those people and still be connected with the sport even if it's in a bit of a different way than you used to And I think it's also like a lot of the times when you transition from being on a college team to like a club team or just like playing on a new team in general, there's the idea of like, okay, how do I now fit in with this team? Like what in like, cause generally if you're joining a team, there's always like already people there. So if, even if you were someone who played a lot for your college you might have to adjust to like less minutes or different minutes or just like a different kind of style of play and so kind of I think communicating what your expectations are and like what you want and sometimes it takes like a second to like look and see like what do you want out of your Quidditch experience um, and like how what team is going to offer you that and I think for people who are joining a new club team or like joining a club team, like make sure you're asking these questions of like, how often do you practice? Like, what's the expectation for workouts outside of practice? Like just kind of having an understanding of like what the goals of the team are and then like how you would fit into that is super important to make sure you're like all kind of on the same page. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And good to point out there that, yeah, sort of when you're, at college university like when you're playing that level generally the club game is of a higher standard so you might be I don't know, the captain or the star keeper or the star beat or whatever for your team but then all of a sudden when you join this club team you're sort of one of many who can do your role well and if not better so kind of having an idea of how you fit into that new environment and kind of that, that role or whether you're still playing because you're that talented or whether I don't know you play a bit part role and kind of being more of a, a sort of a team player rather than maybe a star player or a coach or or whatever so that's definitely something that's important to work out yeah no um, for sure sorry <laughs> you go that's all right um yeah so yeah um, you moved out of the northeast um, and you went over to the southwest to uh, to Texas to play down there. Um, you played with Lone Star QC, 
um, we talked about previously with Cody Marshall on the pod. And also Texas Hill Country Heat as well. Um, sort of two of the three really big community, well, club club teams down in Texas. Um, I guess initially, um, how much of a factor did Quidditch play in terms of choosing to move to Texas? Like, did you want to move somewhere to be able to live and play Quidditch for a good team? Or was it just a happy coincidence that you ended up there? Yeah. What was that like? So I think... Quidditch played a really big part in like why I specifically moved to Austin, mostly because I had spent time in Austin for Quidditch previously at um, Southwest Fantasy. And like, I'm from New Mexico. And so like my initial reaction to Texas was like, ew, because <laughs> Texas has uh, tried to steal part of New Mexico like a very long time ago. They were like, let's, make Texas everything to the Rio Grande and I don't know if you know this about American geography but most of like everything east of the Rio Grande is currently New Mexico so Texas was like we just want like all of it and then no like that's the other state um so my like growing up I was never like a very big Texas fan um yeah and everyone then, knows Texas is is pretty big already yes I was like no um also like in Santa Fe there were all these like the people driving around with like massive cars in the wrong like just like definitely lost were always people from Texas so I was like hmm maybe not um but I went to uh, like I want to say three different southwest fantasies um in Austin and like it was just Austin is such a wonderful town um if you like actually spend time there and there's just so much to do and it's just like so pretty and so good. There's so much good food. I miss it. Um, and so I think that was a really big part of me like being like, Hey, I could live in this city. This looks like this is like a cool city. Um, and then, so after my, like basically in like 2017, I was like, I've been in Boston for a while. I am pretty sure I know what my life is going to look like if I just stay here. And I kind of want to see if I can live in a new place um, and like be a person. Um, and I definitely wanted to live in a place with like at least a few people who I know. And so like, again, kind of going back to that, like knowing people in every city, there are a lot of people in Texas um, and in Austin specifically. So I was like, Austin, I will at least have like a couple of people who I can like talk to and know and like they'll be around. Um, so I think that was a big part. I don't I don't think I was necessarily moving to play Quidditch with like a specific team or like specific people. But like I knew that there would be Quidditch there and I knew that I would want to play Quidditch. Um, so I think that was a big part of it. Um, I also wanted to be closer to home and so Austin was a good option like Phoenix I don't want to live in because it's too hot and then like Denver doesn't really have Quidditch so of like the cities within like a state of New Mexico there are not there were like not the most options um so that was kind of my impetus to moving to Texas um and then obviously once I got there it was great to get to have have the opportunity to play for a lot of different uh, club teams and there's a lot of 
like very good Quidditch people in Texas. So, yeah, so very much kind of on a case of where would I like to be, where would I be, sort of most comfortable living. Um, and I think listeners of this podcast will certainly know how much I love Austin as a place. I think it's it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Texas has like, I guess, a bad rep in some parts of the world. Um, but then you go to Austin and you kind of realize it's sort of the best of everything. I always describe Austin as kind of like, I don't know, having been to San Francisco, it's like San Francisco, like all the best bits about that city, but in the middle of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a phenomenal place to be. And yeah, as you said, it just happens to be a place where there's lots of great Quidditch players as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, Austin's so good. I miss so much food in Austin all the time. I'm like, hmm, miss this restaurant. I miss Bucky's. Did you go to Bucky's when you were in Texas? I did, yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you also miss Bucky's? Um, yes. <laughs> I miss yes. a lot about Austin there. Um, one of my major regrets when I was there, I didn't get to go to Franklin's. Oh. I, I think that's like a bucket list thing I need to tick off. Yeah. So fun fact about my first time trying to go to Franklin's. So like I didn't know that you had to get there very early. But then also like I walked over because I was like downtown and I was walking over and they were like, oh, there's a line. And then I was like, OK, I'll just come back in like a day or two or like come earlier <laughs> the next day. And then the next day it like caught on fire. <laughs> and they closed it down but I did eventually get to Franklin's um with both my parents and then my friend Riley we got there very early one day and just like sat in the line with our little books and read um so yeah Franklin's and then every time so I like drove a lot this week this year this summer because I was going to different places around the northeast and like the northeast instead of like gas stations has like rest stops that have gas associated with them and like every time that I had to stop at one of these rest stations and it wasn't Bucky's, I got so sad because like <laughs> Bucky's bathrooms are so great and they're always so clean. And then they also just always have the best snacks. Like I like don't think I stopped. I think the only time like I got something on a, at a rest station was like to get like a Starbucks drink. But like if I had been going to Bucky's, you would have known. Like I would have been getting some um, kolaches. And some fudge, and maybe some jerky, and I would have had much better road snacks than I did this year. So I miss Bucky's. Is the long yeah. and the short of it? <laughs> True. For like a rest stop, they they are mighty impressive. Um, yeah, just just for context on Franklin's, it's a sort of barbecue place where essentially to get in you have to queue overnight, um, and there's people camping outside sort of the early hours of the morning. And then from what I was told about it, um, they kind of have a certain amount of meat. And then when that's done for the day, they have to send people away. It's just that popular. So yeah, I, I want to see what all the hype's about. And yeah, I want to experience it for myself as someone who loves barbecued meat. <laughs> yes, it's so good. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, is that definitely interesting to talk about in terms of like, moving sort of for life and also for Quidditch as well because I don't know um, when you're considering your sort of career and sort of your sort of employment and sort of going yeah uh, I could move here but do they have a Quidditch team do they have a Quidditch scene oh I don't know about that if I go there 
can I still keep playing? Um, so it's definitely, well, certainly when you're reasonably committed to the sport, it's definitely a factor in making that decision. Yeah, it's like, can I get a job there? Yes. Like I was um, back in Santa Fe for uh, about like 10 months and like it was nice to be home and it was nice to get to like see my family and stuff. But like there was no like the nearest team was either Phoenix or that. And like I actually ended up making Quidditch hoops. So I was like, maybe I'll just like make a team. But that didn't happen. But like I was like, I if I want to like play, I have to fly. And so like that's that's something you just got to kind of think about when you're moving around and stuff. Yeah, definitely. So kind of, I guess, comparing and contrasting uh, between the northeast and southwest, like when you moved to Texas, did you experience a bit of like a culture clash? Um, kind of both like maybe like a personal level in terms of, I guess, the gameplay or like practicing methods? Or did you feel like you fit straight into the system like on either team? So I think the biggest thing that was a trend like a transition for me or like felt kind of strange was like the first official tournament that I played in Texas in 2017 was in is in November um and that's normally when the season is basically like your fall season is done when you're in the northeast so I think in the southwest you have a lot more time to kind of like get everything together because you're not fighting the weather as much um like my first tournament official tournament was breakfast taco in baylor and that was like november 4th of 2017 and like i didn't like not playing quidditch in october was like very strange to me because like that's normally when like okay we have regionals in six weeks um how do we make sure that we get our gameplay requirements in time how do we make sure all of our players like know the rules can we get our jerseys that fast so I think that's like there's less of that like we got to go 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 when you are in the southwest because again your schedule like you can play in this fall and you know, like you can play in like no, October and November, well, more like November, December and January and February. Like those are now times that are available to be played. And so I think that was one of the biggest things that was like very strange. I was like, wow, like I can like have an October? What? What is this? <laughs> um, so that's one big thing. And then I think uh, there is compared to like what I was used to it was like definitely different days like most of the teams in Texas that I played for practice on that Sunday which is like different because most of the teams I played for in Boston were like Saturdays were Quidditch days um so like just kind of adjusting that scheduling and then um in terms of like gameplay I think that the biggest change was honestly I like think I just like played less which is fine I am perfectly happy riding a bench to championships done it a lot that's QC um, love it yes <laughs> um gameplay wise 
I think there's less of a focus there, or at least there used to be less of a focus on like theaters creating space and more on using your superior athleticism to score. Um, I think most of the people who play Quidditch in Texas are like very, very athletic and like that's not always the case in other schools. Like Tufts is a liberal arts school with like 5,000 undergrads and 5,000 graduate students. So there's not as many people and not a many, as many of them like come from a true like tackle sport background. Um, so I think just making the adjustment to being more, it's like, I'm not like the Texas teams are still very strategic, um, but they tend to base that strategy on the fact that they are just like very, very athletic. Um, and they use that athleticism really, really well. Um, whereas I think with like, the nice thing about Quidditch is with beaters, doesn't always like if you are the most athletic it's not always a guarantee that you're going to win because beaters are the ultimate equalizer like if you get hit with the ball it doesn't matter if you're more athletic than the other person like you got hit with the ball so I think like adjusting to that kind of change is different but I think also over the last like three or four years like beating in the southwest is just so good like you have so many talented beaters coming out of this. Like Dan Williams, so good. I'm so sad he wasn't at 2021 championships. He's absolutely incredible. Um, so I think just kind of adjusting to that was new. And then um, I think I was, Tufts was a very like cut heavy team. So like make using cuts and off ball picks to open people up because like, a lot of our players couldn't necessarily always win the one-on-ones. And so I think people in the Southwest typically love to try the one-on-one and won't necessarily like use that pick or like look for that off ball cutter. They'll just be like, I can beat this person one-on-one. And they are generally correct that they can beat that person one-on-one. So Mm -hmm. a lot less picks that I was able to set successfully in the Southwest. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty well thought out answer, both in terms of like the logistics of like, I guess the, the schedule throughout the season, but also, yeah, as you said, the, the gameplay style. Now I've been fortunate enough to go to a tournament in Texas and yeah, like the physicality, like it, it's no joke. Like people run that bit faster, hit that bit harder. And, uh, I don't really know how like a whole region manages to do that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's incredible to see how much people back themselves in those situations and sort of go, yeah, I will take this person on or I will tackle this person or whatever. It, it, it's amazing to see. Yeah, no, I think it is partly because like football is such a big part of Texas. It's like a just, thing that exists i mean friday night lights is literally a show about how much football is ingrained in texas um which is very strange to me i never the first time i went to a football game was like 
my senior year of college and I went to like a friend's football game at their high school and I was like what is this so I think just like having so many people who already know a lot of like the basic mechanics of like hitting uh are a big part of it um and I think it's also like Texas is very much like a sports culture like if you look at like I think there was like a fun stat from the Olympics where if you like counted all the people like them if you counted Texas as like a separate state or like a separate country they would still be like pretty high up there in the medal count so I think it's just kind of the culture of the state itself is so focused on athletics that it just like creates a lot of people who are very athletic um, and very into sports culture and like this is how you are a team and like this is how you like win and like that's kind of just like a mentality that's ingrained in like the state as a whole mm. yeah that's, that's a good point to raise and uh i can sort of draw many comparisons to yorkshire in the uk um not necessarily in terms of quidditch but in terms of sporting success i remember at the london 2012 olympics yorkshire did so well for team gb that all their medals combined were more than australia which is a bit bonkers really like considering how sports mad australia is um but yeah it's that sort of mentality and that mindset that's i guess ingrained from ingrained in the pop in the populace from quite an early early stage yeah Uh, yeah so obviously you played for both lone star and texas hill country heat um two absolute powerhouses of the sport um sort of some crossover in terms of the people who've played for both teams um but yeah it'd be kind of interesting to know from your perspective how would these two compare so what has your experience been like playing on both teams so i feel like lone star when i was on it was kind of a collection of very very talented people who are like very very talented quidditch players um but it wasn't necessarily as much of like a team environment as I was used to. Like, I feel like a lot of the things that help build like team bonding, like road trips and like hangouts and like those off pitch things, there were like fewer than I had typically experienced. Um, Like, I think one of the best ways that I like became a part of Tough Squidditch was just like we had every time we had a practice, we would just like go get food after. And I think that was a big part of like actually getting to know our teammates really well. And I feel like with Lone Star, there was a little bit less of that. And there was also with Lone Star, you had a lot of different people in different places. And so you wouldn't always get like a full like 12 to practice or play. So there was like a little bit more of the like, we're just going to kind of show up to tournaments and we've all been playing with each other so for so long that we will be able to do well and we all have we're all very talented quidditch players um so i think that's kind of what lone star was like and then i feel like a lot of the people like my first year on lone star was a lot of other people's first year on lone stars and i think a lot of that like people who it's first year was they kind of were like we kind of we did this and we did well we like made the finals but we kind of want to do something more like together and more like team-based um so I think with heat it's 
more of a team vibe, I would say. Um, there's a lot more like team bonding, team events, like attempt to kind of build that culture up. And I think also a slightly different strategy. Um, I feel like Lone Star was very chaser heavy in how it typically was trying to do both its offense and defense. Rightly so, there were a lot of very talented chasers on that team. Um, not that there weren't also very talented beaters. I've been very lucky to be on teams with very talented people. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, certainly true. <laughs> yeah, a fun fact about my Quidditch career is that there has been a, like one year of Quidditch where someone playing my position, like I wasn't on a team where someone playing the position I was playing was on team was not on team USA so like every other year it's I've always been on a team with someone who plays my position and is also on team USA at some point um so that's that's a fun fun fact um but yeah I think he also kind of had more of like they had like such talented beaters that it was kind of again very talented chasers too but like the beaters that he were a lot of what would drive what things were doing and then as opposed to like chasers go beaters react it was like beaters go chasers react um if that makes sense um yeah but okay i think that's a really good observation in terms of the way the club teams sort of yeah how, how they operate um kind of as, as you mentioned there sort of Lone Star being more a great team of fantastic individuals sort of coming together and going yeah we've all played before yeah let, let's just make it happen um and yeah I think that's a lot of pe- a lot of people can relate to being on club teams like that um where people are kind of relying on that experience and that sort of chemistry pre-existing chemistry from other other programs um and then yeah sort of the i guess the heat option of doing things to kind of kind of create more of a culture more of an ethos is certainly harder once you graduate and you've got sort of real life jobs to do and try to foster that sense of sort of commonality is really difficult um but if you can make it work you make it work and yeah i also liked how you're saying how lone star were more chaser orientated then heat were more beat orientated so of course when you think about it from like a quidditch coaching perspective of most coaches have a tendency to one way or the other depending on what position they've played previously um and that really kind of comes across in the way that certain teams play and yeah sort of what they go on to do so it's yeah interesting observations all around I just want to say that both teams were super fun to like be a part of um so glad to get to be on both of them yeah definitely definitely uh certainly certainly pretty jealous myself um anyway uh looking at MLQ now um so in terms of playing uh I believe that I'm correct in saying that you are the only player to have won a championship with Boston and Austin. Is that right? Yes. That's yeah, so um, a pretty, pretty unique accolade. <laughs> yeah, I think it's 
basically I just like have the like the I, I've been lucky enough to get to play on both teams and I think that's the big thing um both are like very fun people to be around and like be on a team with and I think so in like all of my MLQ career I have definitely not been like a starter or gotten significant minutes on those teams um with maybe the exception of this year but I think getting to play in practice the level of people who are on both the Boston and Austin teams has been like super great to just kind of get to see how they all kind of think about the game and approach it and like learn from each other is super cool. Um, But yeah, they're both very interesting teams. I think, yeah, I just am incredibly lucky to have gotten to play with all of them. So it's kind of, um, and obviously the two most successful teams in MLQ history thus far. Um, and yeah, like as I've sort of mentioned in previous ep- episodes, there's been quite a rivalry between the two. They're always facing up in the big games at the championships and things. So to have an eye in terms of how both have worked and see, yeah, how their key players play and to play alongside them, yeah, is is pretty special. Yeah, it does make cheering very difficult sometimes because I'm like go this person but also like it's like <laughs> this this year it was like i gotta just cheer for everybody because like look at them all crushing it so <laughs> um. true true i i was just thinking that actually because obviously they faced off in the semi-final this year at championships and uh obviously now being with rochester mlq it's gonna be a case of oh yeah i don't i don't really know who you'd, you'd want to win because yeah as you said you got friends on both sides and yeah I guess either way you win or lose, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm cheering for it to be a good game. And I think it was generally a pretty fun game to watch. So that that's the most important thing. Yeah, for sure. I only managed to watch game one of that, that series. Um, I was busy that weekend, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it, it, that was a brilliant game. And I'd recommend everybody who likes Quidditch to watch that game because that was everything that Quidditch should be, really really interesting yeah. to watch yeah they're all on youtube now or all of the games from sad sunday have been like cut into individual ones which again shout out to nitro blonsky for doing that we appreciate yep. you <laughs> for sure yeah. I, I need to go through a lot of those myself and uh, catch up on what i missed um yeah so i guess kind of looking at the championships you won with boston and austin sort of do, do any of them sort of stand out as being like this year was, I guess, the, the most memorable or are they all kind of equal in your eyes? I think the first one is the one that's like the most memorable because leading into that season, uh, it was very much like New York is the team to beat. Um, and I think that's something that in practice and like throughout the season, was like we were playing to show like no we're the team to beat um and I think that it was also the first time that MLQ was happening and it was like okay can we do this is this a thing that happens um and I honestly think that that was like such a good group of people to just like 
be a part of. Um, and yeah, I was a really special team. Um, we would do like pasta dinners and like um, just travel and like go to get poutine um, in Ottawa. And like we had like the first, I think, maybe MLQ, not the first MLQ game, but like the first games played in the East. I don't remember if that's true. Please don't yell at me if it's wrong. But like getting <laughs> to play Ottawa in Ottawa was like so cool um and like yeah i think that was just a fun like group of people to be around like the people like honestly the um unmarked chasers on that team were so cool and it was so great to be on a team with like hannah and jules and carly and cara and steph and it was just like wow what a crew of human beings so um, I think that's my favorite season. So. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Good to hear about the. As I've mentioned previously, like that Boston team was just so much fun to watch play Quidditch, and what was really cool about that season as well, because obviously back then there weren't any uh, MLQ teams in the Southwest. So Augustine Monroe comes up to New York for the summer and plays with New York. So you have sort of well widely regarded as the best player of all time, playing on one side of the finals against this amazing Boston team. So it was great fun to, to watch. And uh, yeah, glad to hear that you enjoyed it so much. <laughs> yeah. But again, all of the teams have kind of had their own like highs and lows. So they're all they're all good times. So. Of course, of course. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, you... You uh you you've chased for a long time and uh yeah so they had plenty of experience in that position but you've also switched to beating in the last few years as well so what prompted this change and overall which position would you say you prefer um so like the prompting the change was kind of it was like I had kind of played beater at tournaments occasionally in like college like my super scene like I did like one semester at Tufts my that was like a half a semester and like we had a lot of new people so I started beating a little there um and then like I would like try and beat at practices sometimes when I was playing for Lone Star just because we like didn't always have people beaters there um and then I think it just kind of was like well I like chasing but I also could like beating. Um, and then my first year on the Austin team, they were like, yeah, we're going to have you beat or like try beating. And I was like, okay. Um, so then I just kind of started to do that. And I think it was mostly just because there were a lot of really talented chasers on that team. Um, so I was like, okay, I can, I can do that. Um, fun. So I think it was more just like being like, I'll do what the team needs to do, which is, I think, something that when I play, I really, I try and do whatever, like, the team needs me to do. And if the team needs me to, like, chase, I'll chase. If it they need me to beat, I'll beat. Um, it's really just, like, kind of wanting to be able to, like, help my team in whatever way possible. Um, I think, I think beating is more fun, but I don't think I'm as, like, solid, I don't know. I feel like 
fundamentally, I like don't necessarily have like the best techniques. Like, so in soccer, you know, you have like your tactical things and your technical skills and like your mechanical skills. So like, mm. technically, I don't think I'm particularly good as a beater because I don't think I'm the best at like actually hitting people with a ball or like catching or like doing a lot of those like things that you should be able to do to beat effectively. But I think just because of like the quality of the people who I've had to play against and the people and like just getting to watch a lot, I think I can make up for a lot of the fact that I'm like not actually that good at throwing things by <laughs> like just like pretending to be. Um, so I don't know. I think beating is more fun at this point because you have more of a direct control over like what's happening in the game. And I think that's really cool. But also like it is great to get to be able to like dunk on people. So it's kind of depends on my mood and like how I'm feeling. Like if I feel like I'm playing really poorly as a beater, I'll be like, hey, maybe don't have me do that now. <laughs> and I'll do the other thing if you need it. So I think a lot of why I started to try and do both and now maybe eventually seeking because, you know, why not? Um, it's just to like, not be bored so mm -hmm. yeah it's always good to challenge yourself mentally and physically Duh. yeah I think you mentioned you kind of do what the team needs to I think I guess that comes from your mentality they set out there it's not a case of necessarily what do I want to do kind of what is going to give all of us like the best outcome essentially yeah. uh yeah a fun fact is like i have played in multiple like finals of a tournament at the position where like i hadn't actually really been practicing that position for the year like the lone star cab final when i went in at theater i was like yes i have done this at practice but like i was very much not a beater on that team in primarily so it was like okay i'll go beat in a final that'll be fine um and it was not the most fine but that's okay i tried um and then at the 2019 mlq championship i definitely like mostly been beating and they were like go chase and i'm like okay so just kind of again doing what the team needs mm -hmm. so. yeah definitely a, a good way to go about things um with this next question I don't mean to, I don't know, don't mean to, to burn any bridges for you, but we've kind of discussed a few things here or there around this topic. Um, it'd be interesting to know um, from what you've experienced. So having played on some of the biggest club teams in the US, both in the Northeast, in the Southwest, um, so which city or like sort of area would you say has like the best Quidditch scene, Quidditch culture, like, sort of thinking about like competitive play, like practices, play style, sort of team ethos, like general vibes, hanging out, partying, all of that, kind of putting it all together. Where do you say is like, this is the best place for Quidditch? So again, I think it kind of depends on your definition of what like the best is. Um, and I think that like all different things are valuable. I think the culture in Austin is a little more insular. Like the teams are very much like 
these are the team, like this is my team and this is who I'm going to spend time with. Um, so you don't necessarily, I personally at least, did not experience as much like cross-team bonding. Um, like going to parties with like four teams is not something that I personally experienced during my time in Texas. Um, but I think that you still get like a lot of really interesting and exciting Quidditch in Texas because there's a lot of really interesting and exciting Quidditch players there. Um, and I think that the people who are in like their groups are very, very like close to those people. So I think it can be a very, like it is a very healthy place to be within each of those kind of insular groups. Um, and then I think that Boston has the best overall like Quidditch culture in that like when you like if you have like like look if you look at like the MQC teams like all of the MQC teams at like a nationals are going to be cheering for an MQC team um like they're all gonna be like each other's biggest hype people and I feel like that's not always the case with like the Texas teams like um and so I think again it kind of depends on what you feel like is the most like the best for that. Um, but I think there are values in each way. Um, although I do think in terms of partying, uh, the people who are great for partying is Rochester. Like I had a great <laughs> time partying with Rochester this summer. Um, I only almost died like six times. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to party, Rochester is definitely the place to party. Um, they are wonderful. Um, but I think each city kind of has its own unique things and I do think one of the things that like kind of helps bring all of the Boston teams together is first of all they they see each other so much like they basically are seeing each some variation of like teams every week um and that's just going to kind of build those um like bonds between teams and then they also do more fantasy tournaments as like a full MQC um, but I also think it is easier for Boston to have that kind of closeness because like there are like six teams in Boston on a red line. Like you can go like 30 minutes on a train and be with another team for a lot of those people. And I think that's a, something that's like proximity to each other makes it easier to form those bonds. Whereas like in Texas, it's much more spread out. And so it's a little bit more difficult. Um, I know that Juan Martinez and Cole Travis and Alejo um, and Claire are all working on the Texas Quidditch Conference. And I really hope, I like, I think that's going to also really help with like being like just like the general Texas Quidditch um, life because you're going to have more structure to your season. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. Oh man, just burped a little. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think like, there are value like it's there's something to be said for playing in either place and it's really just like what you personally kind of want out of it okay yeah so that's a pretty good diplomatic answer to that question um <laughs> and yeah sort of kind of a case of however uh, you get really um kind of what you want to get out um yeah it, i i think it's quite an interesting sort of area of discussion um i think i think it was ethan who posted on 
American Quidditch discussion sort of going, oh, oh we, what are the... Talking about places like London and Ankara, places like that. And yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to talk about. And uh, I will be curious to see what happens with the uh, the Texas Quidditch Conference because the Massachusetts one, that's been very, very successful thus far. And sort of everything that's come out of that has been very positive. So to kind of see what that will do for Texas Quidditch. Because uh, from the outside looking in, a lot of the the college teams can be quite, I guess, sort of tribalistic in some ways. Um, I know there's a big rivalry between like Texas Quidditch and Texas State, for example. Um, so maybe that might break down the barriers of that and kind of, I don't know, sort of bring that community a bit closer together, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I also do want to say that like the way London runs Quidditch is so interesting to me because like they have like, like werewolves of London has like three teams because they have like so many people and I'm like wow like I don't think there are really any club teams in the U.S. who are able to like yeah to like have like they don't just like they don't have like B or C teams um so I think that's something that is so cool that you can see happening in like London and I don't know if there are other teams in the UK that have those A and B squads but I think that's so cool. Yes, we're going to talk more about your volunteering experience. Uh, I think that's quite an interesting area to talk about uh, in terms of yourself. Um, You volunteer with both MLQ and USQ as well and do other things as well on top of that. Um, So, yeah, could you explain to us like what your roles are in these two organizations in particular and what would you say have been your highlights as a volunteer? Cool. All right. Um, so for USQ, I am currently a gameplay coordinator. Um, and so gameplay for USQ basically means figuring out these um, like policies for gameplay in the US. So like how many games you have to play to be able to be eligible for nationals, like how many opponents, uh, the standings formula, uh, gameplay structures at regionals and nationals, disciplinary actions, equipment waivers. So like anything that is related to playing the game in the US that isn't the rules. Like gameplay team is not the rules team. We do not make the rules. and I've been doing that for about six years. Um, I joined right before World Cup eight um, with the Swiss first Swiss style tournament. Um, and I think my favorite part of being on the gameplay team is figuring out gameplay formats that will be meaningful for the nationals and regionals. Um, I think. USQ has the, like, as USQ, it's Quidditch for everyone in the US. So making sure that we are creating structures as much as possible that are valuable for not just like the best teams, but for every team that is involved. And so I think, like, I was so excited for the 23 uh 2020 nationals because we were going to roll out a 
brand new gameplay format where it was um, 48 team competitive division, a open division for college, and then a club division. And the 48 teams was going to be like a Swiss style tournament with eight pods and you would have to, it was, it was just great. Um, so I think that's one of my favorite things. And I really like, I'm excited to see what this season comes up with for that, um, for USQ. And then I think also just like when I am on USQ staff at events, I appreciate that. Oh, people are like, oh, you're on this staff. Okay, cool. Um, this, that means this tournament's going to go well, um, or like you're, it's not necessarily that it's more like, oh, your presence will make this event better. I think that is something that someone has told me and I'm like, cool, love that. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Um, and then for MLQ, I am the MLQ events director. So basically the events director is in charge of booking space for or like the events team is depart yeah, responsible for booking the locations setting up volunteers finding different people involved finding uh reviewing bids for the series and for championships and then coming up with other events that mlq can be involved in in different capacities um so Lots of things there, but it's it's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think my highlights for MLQ are just like running good championships makes me feel good at the things that I do. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear that um kind of having quite quite important roles in both organizations i think what's quite interesting about that is obviously you do the gameplay stuff for usq and then the event stuff for mlq and i imagine like to extent there might be some crossover in terms of experience of one helps with the other but they are two different roles so you're kind of using two different skill sets um so i guess in terms of sort of a mental side of thing, it's a really good way of engaging and challenging yourself um, on one front and then kind of wearing one hat for one thing, taking that hat off, putting another hat on, and then, yeah, sort of facing those challenges as well. Yeah, I like to wear many hats, um, except <laughs> for in, like, actual life, and I don't really like wearing hats at all. I always get sunburned on my face because I'm like, I could wear a hat, but I don't want to. Virtual <laughs> so. hats. Yes. Yeah, it's just like um, a follow-up question to that. Obviously, with kind of the size of USQ and obviously MOQ as well, do you, and sort of being involved with both organizations, is there ever kind of moments of kind of conflict between the two where kind of being part of one sort of, compromises your position in another or yeah because I imagine you're not the only person who volunteers for both right yeah so I don't necessarily think there's or at least for me personally like I feel like I'm pretty good at like keeping the boundaries pretty clear um and I think that 
like my experience with USQ helps shape my MLQ experience, like volunteering and vice versa. Um, like I know more about event bidding now because I haven't had to do it. And so like it gives me more understanding of like how USQ might be event bidding um, and like the things that we'll need from fields. And so I think it's basically it just is like it, they're very different organizations. So it's just like I do my best to kind of like be like, OK, this is a USQ thing. This is an MLQ thing. I like and I think that I'm pretty good at like not telling people what's happening in the organization, other organization if I'm not supposed to have them. So. Yeah, yeah. so they very much like complement each other. And, uh, yeah, I guess for so sort of people in the know, there's, I mean, sometimes there's like politics within the sport and things like that, and just all this like shit that like, yeah, I'm not a fan of personally. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the downsides of when you get really involved in Quidditch. But uh, yeah, sort of having people who can, yeah, be sort of responsible and yeah, sort of be able to balance those things well is pretty important. <laughs> Um, so kind of looking at what you've done in terms of volunteering, what say have been and then I guess looking to the future, like how would you like to, like the overall volunteering experience to be improved as we emerge out of the COVID pandemic? Yeah, so I think some of the major challenges are at least like personally for me not like I need to work on kind of setting boundaries of like what I am allowing Quidditch to do with my life um and like trying to let it eat it a little bit less um and then I think in terms of like volunteering within the community it can be a difficult it can be difficult because sometimes like our community can be a little bit I don't want to say it's like not necessarily critical, but they just like tend to complain a lot, which is fine because, you know, sometimes complaint is necessary to make things change. But I think it's also important to remember that for the most part, all the people who are involved in volunteering for Quidditch are volunteers and like very rarely are they actually getting paid for their time and effort. So I think having empathy for like the fact that most of these times most of the people who are like putting in the effort to volunteer in any capacity so is it like if it's volunteering to be your coach or volunteering to be your captain or volunteering to be on your club's e-board like those are all things that they are doing because they want to see whatever they're involved in succeed so having that empathy to understand that like it's sometimes hard and it's sometimes just like understand that most of us are all are just trying to do our best and a lot of us are still learning things on the fly so like recognizing that the the effort that we put into these things as volunteers is something that is always good to appreciate so like if you have someone who's your team mom and is like doing all of the little legwork things 
like thank them for it. Or if you're at a tournament and you see the TD, be like, hey, thank you for putting this on. And just like, if someone asks you to do it, do something that's like generally not going to make your life difficult, do it. And like, I think for the most part, our community is really great at doing those things. Like if I need something at an event, I can generally be like, hey, could you just do this thing really quickly? Um, but I think like remembering that all volunteer roles are built on like the relationships and that being yelled at constantly as a volunteer is not fun. Um, not that I'm saying anyone has yelled at me as a volunteer, but like I know people <laughs> tend to yell sometimes, like know that people are doing their best yep. and they're doing this volunteer position to help make your experience as good as it can be. And like, yes, people make mistakes, but like there's a con way to constructively learn from those mistakes as opposed to like making them just like yelling at them and being like, why are you doing this thing? So like remembering that volunteers are doing it from the bottom, like they're doing it to make Quidditch better. So have the respect that they are doing this with like those intentions to make Quidditch better. Um, not that I'm saying like, again, feedback is good because feedback helps you get better. Just make sure that how you are presenting that feedback is constructive. Like you can say that my event was not good, but you gotta give me more than like about how it was not good. Like, did you not like the format? Did you not like where we were? Did you not like the time? Like those are things that are constructive as opposed to being like, this event was bad. I didn't like it. Like that's, I'm sorry that you had that experience and that was what you were feeling, but I can't make changes off of just that was bad. So like if you're going to be giving feedback, make it feedback that things people can change and grow from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a really good message to have. The Yeah, I think you <laughs> more or less stole the words right out of my, my mouth, Emily, in terms of, yeah, kind of the way that people can be in the Quidditch community sometimes where, as you said, like, they'll have a bad experience at a tournament something and people are very quick to criticise, you know, this was bad, this was awful, whatever, um, but just not offer much much more kind of substance than that and yeah i think as you said like, like we're all sort of still kind of learning things on the fly still quite a young sport and it's kind of the more it's always great and like if you have an idea of how something could run better like share that idea um i mean that was one of the great things to come out of quickcon is be able to share those ideas and improve things so that the whole sport is better for everybody and, uh, yeah, I think that's a message that everyone should take into consideration when thinking about, yeah, their attitude towards volunteers and them volunteering as well. Yeah, and, like, if you want to get involved in something, like, there's probably someone who could use hands. So, like, be like, okay, this, and honestly, even, like, from, like, a career perspective, like, a lot of the ways that you can be involved in Quidditch can help you with like 
your actual like life. Um, like I think I've gotten a lot of jobs or like I feel like a lot of the skills that I use in my job are things that kind of came from a lot of the things that I did in Quidditch. So I think like if I had not volunteered, there would be a lot of things that I would feel less comfortable with um, at my job. So it's a good time to help the community that is hypothetically a part of your life for the better and then also improve your own like skills and abilities in some ways. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you mentioned there uh, about having Quidditch not eat as much of your life um, as it does. Um, so I think quite a big element of volunteering is volunteer burnout, um, just being done with it um, and also just like keeping going. So how do you cope with volunteer burnout and do you make sure you find time in the year to switch off from Quidditch? Like, do you have like a period where you can just rest and relax? Yeah, so I have been working on this, um, basically trying to find ways to do other things with my life besides Quidditch. Um, so I like jo recently joined a rugby team, which is very exciting, um, but not for my knees, but exciting <laughs> in other ways. Um, and then I think part of how I try and avoid volunteer burnout is by recruiting other volunteers so that they can help me with the things that I'm doing. Because I feel like there are so many people out in the world who are just like so good at the things that they do. So just like being like, hey, do you want to do this thing? And then if they say no, that's fine. But if they do, then now you have a new volunteer and that's one less thing for you to do. Um, so I think just like trying to do like volunteer outreach as part of how I help stop burnout. And then I also think that there are definitely like lulls in the season um, that help. I also feel like for me personally, like I've never held like leadership on like an actual team. And I think that's one way that I have been able to kind of volunteer for as long as I have is like, I've never been like, like I'll be responsible for things at events, but like I'm never responsible for a team. And I feel like being responsible for a team is just like a whole other like bag of worms where you have to like herd cats everywhere. And so like not having to do that is great. Like love that for me. Um, not that herding cats is bad. My cat <laughs> is right here and he says hello. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, so. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a good area to talk about because with the sport, yeah, you, you do tend to find that, I guess, especially I've noticed in the last few years, there's sort of less of an uptake of less less people come, starting volunteering. So you get a lot of people who've just been doing things for a long time, doing more and more and more until eventually they decide, right, that's it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, sort of, I think the phrase, the phrase is something like, was it, many hands make light work, something like that. Um, yeah. So like, if you can, I don't know, have somebody doing one aspect of a job and then maybe four or five people doing the work of what one person used to do, that's great. Um, the more we can do of that, the better. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, like, 
that kind like the ability to recruit those volunteers kind of comes from the fact that like if you know like if your volunteers are treated well and like treated in a way that they feel like they have the room to grow and express themselves and like learn and like actually do things that are meaningful to them then that allows them to be like yeah no i love volunteering for this organization like this is great i have all of this flexibility so like kind of volunteers that are happy recruit volunteers that will be happy so i think kind of just continuing that idea of like treating people well as much as possible is really important yeah definitely definitely um just to kind of round out this main section of the episode uh, do you have any i guess nuggets of inspirational motivation that you like give to people who want to volunteer like how would you how do you well i guess what would you like to say to get people to volunteer more in quidditch i think it's basically like the idea that if you see someone who needs help help them and then if you have an idea like ask for help if you don't know how to like make that idea a reality um but i think like so i started volunteering because people were like can you help with this and i was like sure and then that's just kind of happened to like snowball into all of the different volunteering that i do so i think just like if you see something where like oh that looks fun or like i want to do that or like i could do that just like find someone who's doing it and be like hey can you help me or like or alternatively can i help you and then it kind of comes from that because then you get those skills as you kind of learn like i didn't know how to run events for a while and then leanne was like let's run fantasy tournaments and i was like cool let's do it and then i learned how to do things and so it's just that kind of like idea of asking for help and then also being willing to be asked for help mm -hmm. yeah it's a good thing that hopefully a lot of people will take out of listening to this episode fantastic um yeah we're gonna move on to the mailbag section of the episode um uh, thank you to everyone who sent in these questions for emily to answer um always much appreciated uh we'll start with this one from alex sugar he's a good friend of uh the the, the pod so thanks for sending this one in um any special advice for other utility players uh, second question here how soon can toronto raiders be expecting you for the 2022 season all right uh, so advice for utility players, I would say just like try anything um, and like use practice as a time to try things that you might not do in a game and just like play as much as you can with as many different people um, in whatever position you want to learn. Because um, that's like you really only get better at things by doing it. Um, and then for moving to Toronto, again, like if I am, if I find a job or a place to live, I will move to the city. Like those have always been my rules of like where I will go. Like if I can find a place to live and a place, a job, then I'll go to there. So yeah, if you can find me a job and a place to live, I may move to Toronto. May. <laughs> That's a very important May. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. 
I mean, at least if you did go there, you get more chance to have poutine, right? That is true. Uh, I miss poutine. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so this question from CJ Carter, um, which we, we kind of discussed off air beforehand. Um, so it's quite a, a, quite a difficult one, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, so for each city you played for, identify their Pokemon type. Yeah, so as I was telling Fraser, I don't know if I feel like I know enough about Pokemon to do this. And I know I'm a bad millennial for saying this, um, <laughs> but we'll do our best. And then I have a fun, very specific genre of things that I could thought about for this as well. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like, again, I don't know the Pokemon types well enough to like characterize them. Um, but we can fuck around and find out. Um, <laughs> I feel like Boston is like a fire type Pokemon because they typically are like very passionate um, and they run, can run really hot, but then also occasionally have like cold spells. Um, uh -huh. Runs with like the Forge branding as well, I guess. Yeah. it's I, So I feel like Boston's like fire type. Um, and then I feel like Austin is kind of like a water type, partly because there's like a lot of water in Austin. Um, but then also I feel like they're always pretty like cool and collected and calm, um, especially like the Austin teams. They like have a plan and they stick to it. And again, I'm probably butchering this. Um, I guess obviously cut contrast with the fire of Boston as well. So yeah, keeping up that narrative. Yeah, just do it for the bit. Um, and then Rochester, I would have to say like a rock type, mostly because it's like they rock Just, again <laughs> for the bit. Um, but Not ice, no, yeah, yeah, maybe ice Pokemon. Yeah, again, I'm sorry, CJ, that I don't know the Pokemon <laughs> types well enough to do that better, but those are off the top of my head where my head is at. Okay, yeah, I think that's because considering you you say you don't know your Pokemon types very well, I think that's a pretty decent answer to that question. <laughs> um, so this next one, if you could choose to play for any team or slash any or play in any city outside the U.S., where would it be and why? Okay, I think it would be super fun to play in Paris. Um, and play for the Titans because I think they have a very interesting system that they where they play. Um, also, I stayed with Albert; he was great, and it'd be cool to get to play Quidditch with him. Um, so, yeah, sure. I think that's a, a good answer to have. The shout out to Albert. <laughs> yeah. He's a very nice guy, and uh, yeah very difficult to play against so i'd rather i'd rather play with albert than against him i'll tell you that <laughs> um so this next one so what's your favorite post-tournament food um so i would say probably like pasta um but like noodles and company pasta because then i can get like any type of noodles um, and then if it's like also just like margaritas are like the best thing to have post tournament in any scenario. So like post tournament marks, 
the way to go. Mm. Especially if they come from Texas, right? Yes. Or my dad makes them. My dad makes the best margaritas. <laughs> uh-huh. Good choice. Um, so this one, place that you've traveled for for a tournament. So was that like farthest or best? Or I, yeah, your, your favorite place, yeah. Uh, oh. Honestly, I really, again, the Southwest fantasies in Austin were always so great. So I'm going to go with Austin, uh, even though I live there. I never actually, while I was living in Austin, never actually played a tournament in Austin. So I think this is a valid answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Yep, we've, we've talked about how great Austin is already, so yeah, good choice, I'd say, definitely. Uh, and our next question coming in, let's go with, the, what what would you say is your biggest achievement in Quidditch? I guess, like a both, like a, what really stands out to you? I think it's the fact that, like, I've been the t- events director for the last two MLQ championships, and each successive one has been the best MLQ championship. So I think that it shows that I am one pretty solid at running championships, and two, like, constantly looking to improve them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good answer, sort of making sure that, yeah, events are run properly and obviously if things are run well, people let you know about that. So, yeah, definitely a good thing uh, to be proud about. Um, we've got a couple more uh, to finish off. So, this one here, who is the toughest opponent you faced? Hmm. I feel like playing against cavalry is always difficult and like this is even like in practice when i was on austin with all of the cavalry people but like they are so well organized and they know so well like the system that they run that it just makes it so hard to like play them sometimes it can be like a very frustrating experience so Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a good choice. Now, our last question here. I guess it kind of feeds into the previous one. Uh, last question is, what's your most memorable slash favorite game you've ever played? Okay. That's hard. I mean... A lot of games. <laughs> there, there have been a lot of games. Um, okay, this is going to be, like, very, very old and very specific but there was a university of richmond game that i played in like at an october fest and it like literally was very unmeaningful but like the line that i played absolutely like went off during it and like when we entered the game we were down like 20 points and then by the time we left we were up out of range and it was just like so much fun and again it was like a early tournament in the middle of October, like at Oktoberfest. And so like very not important, 
but also I mean it was kind of important it was the same Oktoberfest that we won but it was just like a really fun time um and I know it's not a championship but like that's okay I am remembering it so it's going to be the most memorable one yeah definitely sometimes the big games don't always end up being certainly the best ones um but yeah it's uh certainly good to have memories of those times when you played really well and just kind of the hype you get when you come off the pitch after that win <laughs> fantastic um we're gonna wrap things up there uh yeah emily this has been a lot of fun yeah i thank you for having me right. on i'm excited to get to talk to people <laughs> about quidditch and i love talking to you about quidditch Frazier, so it's good yeah, it's been it's been fantastic to hear about everything you've done. And uh yeah, it's been it's been a pretty wild ride. Um have you got anything to plug at the moment, sort of USQ MLQ wise or um so I also have a podcast. It's called The Beat on the Eighth Man. I promise you that there will be new episodes soon. They are recorded, they're just being edited. Um so wait for those and then like Make sure to follow along this season, I guess, for USQ. I think it's going to be super interesting. Um, but, like, just when you're starting to play Quidditch, just, like, have fun. Because it's a sport that's supposed to be fun. So if you aren't having fun, you're probably not doing it right. So <laughs> have fun, y'all. I think that's a, that's a brilliant quote we can take from this episode. Uh, but yeah, check out the beat. Uh, it'll be up soon. So a, a different kind of podcast to listen to. And yeah, follow the USQ season. It's going to be exciting to be getting back to playing again. Um, yeah, so we hope uh, all of you listeners have enjoyed this episode of the Total Quidditch podcast. If you're set to date with future episodes, please give the Total Quidditch Facebook page a like. We'll be announcing upcoming guests on there. And of course, giving you a chance to send in your mailbag questions to our lovely guests. Uh, until next time, keep yourself safe and live the game. Goodbye.